Chapter Twenty of Saint Charles Borromeo: A Sketch of the Reforming Cardinal by Louise M. Stackpole. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Maria Therese. Chapter Twenty: Tales Ambio Defensores. During the six weeks Charles Borromeo spent in the Eternal City, the bonds of brotherly love and holy friendship that united him to the gentle apostle of Rome grew and strengthened. They had loved and respected each other before but in the holy year their mutual affection and admiration so increased that it might be said of them as of david and jonathan very pleasant hast thou been unto me thy love was wonderful passing the love of women yet notwithstanding his affection for the archbishop the saintly oratorian refused to allow his dearest friend to rob him of his two dearly loved sons cesare baronio and francesco maria Terrighi. The congregation of the oratory was in splendid working order at Santa Maria and Vallicella. As it was not yet canonically raised into an order, it had not a fixed role. In the following July, Gregory the Thirteenth published a bull formally founding the congregation of the oratory. It contained the following passage relative to the statutes of the order. Let them reform at their discretion the statutes and rules already made. Let them limit, or modify, or add to them as may appear to them expedient and such statutes or rules thus changed or reformed or added to shall freely be approved by the apostolic see and inviolably observed by all members of the said congregation we have already seen that it was one of the dreams of charles to found at milan a similar congregation of secular priests in fifteen seventy philip himself had longed to go to milan but the pope would not allow him to leave rome now in fifteen seventy five philip would not allow his favorite disciples to quit the eternal city Charles besought him almost with tears to give him Baronio and Terugi, but the sweet and gentle Philip could be just as inflexible on occasions as his sterner friend. He would recount an intensely characteristic letter to Charles. It shows so clearly the widely different temperaments of those two devoted friends that I could not resist giving extracts from it. It caused me intense pain, the oratorian writes to the archbishop, to have been unable to wish you farewell. God alone knows how dearly I love you. It grieves me to the heart to be compelled to refuse your request. I cannot bear the idea of not giving you the priest you asked me for, and yet I cannot comply with your request without injuring our congregation. I wish to heaven it was only a question of my own convenience. You tell me that I am self-indulgent in this respect, but I am certain, and by your leave I say it to you frankly, that you yourself are far more self-indulgent in such matters. Many accuse you of it, and even of robbery. The bishops of Rimini, Vercelli, and many other places say so. When you meet a capable man, you immediately endeavor to allure him to Milan. You are a most daring and audacious robber of holy and learned souls, and as the saying is, you despoil one altar to adorn another. Amicus Socrates, Amicus Plato, Magis Anica Veritas. I beg of you to forgive me such plain speaking. But when fathers Alessandro Fadelli and Pompeo Petrari the two priests whom Philip finally sent to Milan arrived in that city. Charles was compelled to show himself as inflexible as Philip had been. One of them had not wrought with him the usual celebrate. Consequently, when the matter was referred to him, the archbishop would not give him permission to celebrate the holy sacrifice, for he invariably adhered to the letter as well as the spirit of the Council of Trent, and to have dispensed with the celebrate would have been contrary to the letter of the decree of the sacred council. Before leaving Rome, the once haughty son of the Borromei showed that he had become in very truth a follower of him who was meek and humble of heart, 
for he implored the holy father to allow him to efface from his memory and from the minds of men even his own name that historic name he had gloried in and which he had looked upon as a noble and sacred heritage he entreated to be allowed to sign himself simply cardinal of santa Prasede, and to use as seal instead of the armorial device of his house one with the figure of st ambrose between the martyrs st gervasius and protasius and the motto tales ambio defensores from this date charles always signed himself cardinal de santa Prasede. his vicar-general fontano who was later on appointed bishop of ferrara asked him why he had changed his signature and his seal he replied for a long time i wished to renounce the name of my family and for it is my opinion that bishops after their consecration should forever give up their homes their titles and their own people but i would not do so without the pope's permission while in rome it pleased our lord to show in a marked way the love he felt for his chosen servant for as he sent forth his disciples to perform miracles saying unto them heal the sick raise the dead cleanse the lepers cast out devils freely have you received freely give so he has throughout the centuries given supernatural power to the saints of his church to cure the sick to raise the dead to manifest by deeds as well as words the wonderful works of god it was cesare baronio who on this occasion was the instrument that helped to show forth the sanctity of the austere cardinal and the power given to him by god cesare contrived to get possession of the sandals worn by charles on his visits to the churches for he went barefooted save for them in rome as but a short time previously at monza was a young girl who was possessed by satan baronio succeeded in getting her brought to the church of the valicella and there in the presence of st philip neri she was touched with the sandal she immediately shrieked aloud in agony her howls and shouts were appalling but at last the devil left her and she was quite cured on his way back to milan charles broke his journey at guastalla in order to visit his sister Carmilla and her husband cesare de gonzaga he found the prince dangerously ill and so delirious that he was incapable of receiving the last sacraments charles caused the blessed sacrament to be exposed and prayers to be offered up he himself spent the long night begging god to have mercy on the dying man and restore him to consciousness before the end came god hearkened to the supplication of his faithful servant for gonzaga recovered his senses confessed received extreme unction in the holy viaticum and died at peace with god and man charles remained for a short time partly in order to be present at the funeral but principally to comfort his sister in her overwhelming sorrow when all was well with his sisters and his relatives charles often treated them with apparent indifference taking to heart and putting in practice those words of our divine redeemer if any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters yea in his own life also he cannot be my disciple when they were in trouble he was as a ministering angel unto them kind self-sacrificing generous he had passed his favorite sister anna colonna without even a sign of recognition when she and her husband don fabrizio and her father-in-law one of the conquerors of lepanto the renowned prince mark antonio colonna had gone out of their carriage in order to speak to him when he was on his way to the church of st paul but when camilla di gonzaga was in sore need of sympathy and consolation he gave her ungrudgingly precious hours and days the weighty matters necessitated his return to his diocese some days after his return to milan he wrote the following letter to his sister anna colonna milan march fourth fifteen seventy five 
Last Thursday, thanks be to God, I arrived in Milan in the best of health, and greatly to the mutual gratification of pastor and a flock. I was detained for two days at Guastala by the sickness and death of our illustrious Cesare. He gave so many signs of true contrition and of resignation to the will of God, that we hope his soul has entered into life everlasting. We must therefore console ourselves for his loss, for it is only for a time. God grant that he may soon enjoy the beatific vision. The princess is well. Don Ferrante has caught the fever slightly. Probably he will soon recover. Ferrante was a nephew of the cardinal, the son and heir of the Gonzagas. The inevitable result was that, when Charles arrived in Milan, he was so overwhelmed with work that his health almost broke down. But for the indomitable spirit that kept the frail body alive, he would certainly have collapsed completely. But the thought of the glad tidings he brought to his beloved flock prevented his succumbing. Hope deferred, undoubtedly, maketh the heart sick, but hope, the steadfast and certain hope of a great blessing, not only maketh the heart rejoice, but keepeth the whole body in health. This hope it was that sustained Charles during the summer heats, and helped him to brave the intense cold of the snow and frost of the November and December days, until, in 1576, he was able publicly to announce to the people that the Holy Father had granted for that year the jubilee of the Holy Year to the city and diocese of Milan and also to the seven churches of Milan, the same indulgences granted to the seven churches of Rome. So great was his zeal and fervor that he succeeded in kindling something of his own zeal and fervor in the hearts of the Milanese. He arranged everything for the fit observance of the Jubilee with his usual extraordinary method. They say that genius is an infinite capacity of taking pains, and if that be true, Charles Borromeo was one of the greatest geniuses the world has ever seen. For throughout his life he showed a marvellous aptitude for detail, and appeared to be able to supervise not only the affairs of his vast diocese, but the most apparently trivial arrangements of his household. During the year of the Jubilee of Milan, crosses were erected on the roads in order to guide the pilgrims on their way, and at the same time recalled to their minds the Passion of Christ, and when they arrived in the city they were lodged and fed at houses specially set apart for them. It was decreed that the visits to the churches should be made on foot, and in the interior of the churches men and women occupied different sides, a partition separating them in some places, and others a wooden screen. Milan was on fire with religious enthusiasm. Men and women of the highest rank walked in procession, attired in sackcloth, a cord round their throats, and holding crucifixes in their hands. They went on their way from the Duomo to Sant'Ambrogio, from Santa Maria della Grazia to San Stefano, from church to church, from altar to altar, singing hymns, reciting litanies, giving striking signs of sincere penance for past offenses, of confident hope in a blessed future, and of fervent piety in the living present. The people continued to perform the devotions of the Jubilee with extraordinary fervor, their archbishop wrote, in the joy of his heart, to the papal nuncio in Spain. Many walked barefooted, either alone or in procession. The various colleges and professions form processions composed of their members. They carry the cross of their parish before them, or else that of their order. We have heard rumors of the plague. Every day thousands come from the surrounding country, and I have endeavored to arrange that in one day they can perform all the necessary good works. Every day, in all the churches, but particularly in the Duomo, I and my priests give Holy Communion to thousands of people. I have published a little book of prayers that also gives an account of the relics exposed in the different churches. I have provided a hospice for strangers where they are lodged and fed, 
and not only do the nobles and citizens give alms abundantly, they also wash the feet of the poor pilgrims and serve them in every way. While the saintly ascetic thus rejoiced in the fervor of his flock, they in their turn looked with feelings of awe and reverence on their beloved pastor, who not only preached, administered the sacraments, arranged and foresaw everything, but also himself went barefooted, through the streets, and washed the feet of the poor pilgrims in the hospice. In those days Milan was a holy city, but, alas, the note of warning had been sounded. The plague. Not all the prayers and penances, the tears of repentance, the deeds of heroic charity, the long fasts, the severe abstinences, not all these could stay the hand of God. It was approaching, slowly, gradually. The awful thing was coming nearer and nearer to the doomed city, and even while the souls of the inhabitants were filled with celestial joy, that horrible thing was waiting to seize their poor bodies. Even the stainless life of their saintly archbishop could not avert the terrible scourge. Milan was doomed. End of chapter 20